Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael LaPod, Pina of Sports Illustrated. Michael, we got some great questions from the Open Floor Globe to get to later. I know you wrote a piece about the Sacramento Kings as well, their resurgence that we're going to dive into. But I thought we would start with this all-star imbroglio that we've got going on right now. I'm sure you saw it. Thursday and Friday, star after star after star was going after the NBA for one reason or another. LeBron James said, hey, come on, you're blindsiding us with this all-star weekend plan. We thought we were coming into the season and we're going to have a five-day break. Kawhi Leonard flat out said the NBA is putting money over health. You had Giannis and James Harden say that they wanted to basically spend the time with their family rather than going down to Atlanta to play in this scaled-down all-star game that we've discussed on some previous episodes, Michael. Kind of a mess. Then on top of it, Kevin Durant gets caught up again in the NBA's contact tracing program. He's essentially out for a week, and he goes on a a mini Twitter binge. I mean, it was only two tweets, but uh, they were forceful tweets, I'll say that. Um, Slight profanity going towards the NBA saying, basically, it's all PR, you know, let me play. Free KD essentially was his message. So I added it up, Michael, of the top 12 all-star vote getters in the first returns, five are upset with the NBA publicly right now in terms of these all-star plans. That doesn't seem great. And uh, this does put the NBA in a little bit of a bind. Now, they have been discussing with the Players Union how to proceed with uh, the all-star plans, and those conversations presumably are ongoing. So we're we're taping this on Monday morning. We're not totally sure how they will shake out. But, Michael, I'm going to give you a couple choices, and you tell me what you would do if you were Adam Silver, okay? Uh, number one, you could just plow forward, say, sorry, guys, I know you always complain about having to come to the all-star game. We've got to make the money. We'll do what we can to work with you. But, you know, tough break. We're, we're doing this thing. That's number one. Number two, 
you could extend the midseason break, right? You know, there, there was some conversation, guys thought they were going to get five days off. Well, you could extend it a couple days, start the second half of the regular season a couple days later. They haven't committed to games there yet. Uh, you could just build in a little bit more of a cushion. Uh, so that way you could kind of have a compromise. You could play the All-Star game, and then the All-Stars would be able to have some time off before they had to get back uh, to games. I think at this point, the plan was to have the All-Star game on March 7th, and then to resume the second half of the regular season on March 10th. We could imagine a scenario where they, they punt that to March 12th and maybe everybody comes home. Uh, okay. Of course, this uh, there's also another loophole I'm going to give you as an option. You could say, hey, look, the special circumstances. Uh, we know in the past the rules have mandated that players play no matter what if they're selected unless they're injured. We're going to make some exemptions maybe for a LeBron or an Anthony Davis or a Jimmy Butler or a select group of players who play deep into the bubble and say, hey, don't worry, you don't have to show up. That way the game could continue, but maybe you don't have a few of the biggest names, the guys who have really carried the heaviest schedule burden here since the pandemic started. And the fourth option would be just to pull the plug, to bow to the pressure of the players, to say, sorry, TNT, you know, we've got no all-star game for you, throw away that television money, and then just pretend like this all never happened. So those are your four options, unless you can come up with another one, Michael. What do you think is the best approach here for the NBA? Well, I don't think that backtracking and then just deciding that the All-Star game is not going to happen after uh, basically announcing that it, it was going to happen. I, I just don't think that that is an option for the NBA. I don't think yeah. that that would ever so take let, place. Let's clarify. They have basically all but announced the plans, right? They have not formally said we're holding the game. They've said where they want to do it. They haven't even really committed to the building at this point. We were assuming it was going to happen uh, and be announced officially here in the next couple of days. So maybe that's their wiggle room, Michael. Just that slight, you know, we never actually put it into writing, although we are holding all-star voting as we speak, and guys have cast millions and millions of ballots. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right to point that out. I just, when Woj tweets something, it's like the unofficial official statement from the NBA. So that's kind of what I'm, I, I get confused sometimes between those two different kind of, uh, notifications, but like when well, you and, and you're and you're correct. If they did back yeah. out, there would be a backlash, right? People would be like, "What oh. do you mean we're not doing it?" Right? But yeah, would some people be happy too, Michael? There, I think there's some segment of fans who would say, "Hey, you know, like you shouldn't have done it in the first place. You came to the right decision. It was a messy path. You know, the the process wasn't the greatest, but the result was okay." Yes, I I do agree with that. Also, I, if the NBA were to hypothetically go down this path and just cancel the all-star game before they actually announce it officially i do wonder like you they would have to explain why right and if they're explaining if their explanation was it's not safe then that kind of calls into question the entire season <laughs> right so i i think that that's just a really complicated option and a route that I just I can't foresee at all happening. Um, the other one that you had with, you know, letting certain players not play, you know, they're contractually obligated to do so if they are selected. Like if LeBron doesn't play, then there's just no point in having it. So <laughs> I, I, I don't think that that's either a, a likely or realistic option here. Um, my personal favorite 
and one that I'm rooting for is that they extend the break here because, you know, I'm speaking as someone who didn't realize how nice it felt to have an evening off from gorging on like a dozen NBA games every night until Super Bowl Sunday yesterday. And I was just like, I, the, I was just not stressed over, you know, what happened in the Hornets Pacers game because I had already had an opportunity to watch it during the day and it was, it was lovely. So that's like just the mental just toll that it's taking on me and, and everyone should cry for me, NBA writer who watches basketball games for a living. But it's a lot. It's a wave every day. There's like 10 games that you got to pay attention to and it, it gets a little stressful. So I'm like kind of looking forward to a few days off. So if they could extend that, that would be terrific. Yeah, so I think that's a you problem. That's not an Adam Silver problem. <laughs> I think there should never be a scenario where you're stressed out about the Charlotte Hornets versus Indiana Pacers game in, in any circumstance right now, Michael. So I think you do need to take a step back and, and come up for some air. But your point is very well taken. We've been watching a lot of basketball for quite a while now. You know, not quite two months, but we'll be there pretty soon. And it's night to night. It's condensed. I feel a heavier burden on the schedule when I'm when I'm looking every night to see which games I want to watch compared to a normal year. It is crunched. It is condensed. There's more back to backs. And then it's 10 times worse on these players. And I completely understand why the high level players, especially guys who had short off seasons, would want to have that time off. I think that's the best compromise you can make here. Say, look, you guys thought you were going to get a five-day break. We understand that we're kind of moving this thing around a little bit. We want to play the game on a Sunday because that's when there's the top, the top ratings. Seven, eight, nine million people might watch this thing. It's one of the biggest nights of the entire year. We'll get you in and out of Atlanta as quickly as possible, we promise. And then we'll give you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and maybe even Friday off. Uh, to recuperate. I mean, that seems like a reasonable compromise. Michael, everyone does this, right? I mean, when you're putting in your PTO request for work and you're going to take two days off, you don't take Saturday and Sunday off, right? You take Thursday and Friday off and you give yourself a four-day weekend. And I think that's sort of what the NBA needs to do with these superstar guys is say, all right, you're working on Sunday, but we're going to make it up to you uh, you know, afterwards. And you know, something we'll have to give there. I mean, that probably means you're going to have to crunch a couple extra games into a shorter time period in the second half of the season if you do approach it that way. It's not a perfect solution, or maybe you have to push everything back a little bit in terms of the start of the playoffs. But um, I do think that the All-Star game, if you're able to do it, should be a priority. There's the history aspect. There's only been one year they haven't had it. It was a lockout-shortened season. Otherwise, it's got a long history. I think that you know these selections matter and that you know the fans will tune in. There's been a lot of people upset about, oh, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And I saw a lot of people, frankly, upset at the Super Bowl, watching it and knowing there was something like 25,000 people in the stands. Guess what? You were upset and you still watched the Super Bowl. And that's kind of how this whole business thing works. And so I think it is an opportunity for the NBA to you know, recoup some revenue. I understand where they're coming from and, and why they've prioritized that so much in some of their other decisions in terms of when do you start this season? Do you want to pursue the bubble? I mean, money is driving all of this. And I, and I agree with you, your first statement. If you did a U-turn here, I think it would set a weird precedent in terms of your power balance with the players, right? It seems like they could just opt out of anything they wanted to. And I think as a league, uh, that gets to be a little bit dicey in, in future situations. But then too, you've already kind of taken the PR hit of wanting to do this event. And now you would take another one by calling it off. I'm not sure it's worth it. I say just go forward. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I, you know, I think about a quote that I heard Draymond Green say about how even on off days this season, like players need to go to the practice facility early in the morning to get tested for COVID. And it's just such a mental strain on everyone who's taking part. And, you know, I've done a few interviews with players over the past few weeks, and they'll just casually say, like, you know, in a normal season, um, after a back-to-back, we'll get a day off, and I don't have that anymore, and I need to wake up at 7.30 or 8 o'clock to get my COVID test, and it's just like a different level of of stress on these guys. And so just, I think, you know, giving a little bit of a extended break could be the compromise, as you said, that the league and the players are able to come at come to because I do think that this game is going to take place. And I do think that LeBron James and Giannis and KD and whoever else is selected is going to, to, to take part. Um, so, you know, there, as we kind of go forward and there are a lot of looming questions long-term about the league's financial framework that are it's going to get pretty prickly, I would imagine, over the next few years between the players and the league. Like, this is something that you should be able to come to a, a, an agreement on. And no one will be 100% happy, but that's kind of the definition of a compromise. And since this is going to happen regardless, like, let's just try to try to give a little bit of ground if you're the league and just extend the break a little bit. Because real quick, like, one of the most – I mean, there isn't a schedule for the second half of the season for this type of – reason right like they 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 want to have as much flexibility as possible so i know they don't want it to drag out forever but uh the fact that there aren't any regular season games that they're necessarily tied to on the calendar i think makes it more doable no yeah for sure i mean that's why i was saying it you know they're scheduled to start it roughly on march 10th we'll just push that back to march 12th and you've given the players the same break they were expecting in the first place. That feels like a fairly modest change. And if you do have to push the whole thing back two days, then so be it. Maybe you cram in a couple extra games on back-to-backs to uh, offset those two days, and you're good to go. You know, one thing from the player's perspective here in terms of why go forward with it would be that you can kind of maintain the high horse in some of your future negotiations with the league. I mean, they're having to renegotiate, you know, new collective bargaining agreements, you know, kind of every six months or so to kind of get through this season, get through next season, because there's so much lost revenue and because they've had to change the length of the schedule and all these other things go through the bubble process. The NBA players right now can look at the owners and say, we have done absolutely everything you've asked in terms of a revenue generation standpoint. We lived at Disney World for three months. We cut short our off season to come back before Christmas to make sure we could play games on Christmas. We agreed to the condensed schedule. And they can continue to say that if they participate in the All-Star game. If they don't, they kind of lose that that little moral high ground or that uh, pretty strong argument about, hey, we've been doing this thing in, in good faith. And that could uh, come back to, you know, be an issue down the road. I mean, there is a lot of money at stake here, um, you know, not only with this All-Star break, but with, you know, how the NBA proceeds financially for years going forward. And I think that's why you've seen the players show such an interest in trying to make everything work whenever possible. They realize that the stakes are really, really high. I mean, going back to your point about the inconveniences of daily life for the players, it's not just that they're getting tested constantly, right? But it's that they can't really do any fun things right now. They're almost on lockdown when they're at home uh, because of the health protocols. And on the road, it's the same deal. They really can't go and socialize like they used to. That would get really old and really draining mentally as well. You know, one guy who did express his frustration was Kevin Durant, who I mentioned earlier. I couldn't believe, Michael, that 
he tested negative three times in 24 hours you know, before uh, they made that decision to take him out of that game on Friday night. And he was obviously very, very upset about that. It's like, at that point, do you just have to walk around all day long with cotton swabs in your nose, just ready to give samples at a moment's notice? Like if three negative tests isn't enough to get you on the court, I could understand his frustration. At the same time, the NBA's decision-making, you know, sort of made sense. He was in close contact. He probably wouldn't have been testing positive yet so it was the safer move to remove him from that game what I don't understand is why they let him back on the court in that particular moment and again this just leads to kind of a cloud of confusion and frustration from the players saying like come on guys you're trying to get us through this pandemic but nothing really makes sense the story keeps changing you know one week we're supposed to have an all-star break the next you want us to be out there in Atlanta you know one quarter they let me on the court the next quarter they don't and I do think this is kind of a mess and fairly contentious right now from the NBA standpoint. Wouldn't you say this feels like kind of the moment of the highest tension that we've seen since probably the bubble shutdown in terms of the number of high-profile players we've we've seen speak out right now? I think so, yeah. Um, I, ever since, I guess, like post-Jacob Blake for sure. Um, and, you know, I you could explain to me a dozen times what exactly happened with Kevin Durant on Thursday night. And I still just, I would never get it. Like, I don't understand how he, you don't start him because you're awaiting a test from someone who he was in close contact with. And then you play him and then you have to shuffle him away. But no one else who he was on the court with or sitting on the bench with is affected, really. Like, it just made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever uh that's one that is just like i totally get why kd was frustrated with just how that was handled frankly and the explanation just didn't make a lot of sense to me the Nets should be too they lost that game you know there's going to be games as we get closer to the end of the regular season or into the playoffs where these kinds of decisions could alter the result you know i mean i think everybody should be upset the nets kevin durant um, the league itself should not be happy with how that played out. I look at the, you know, the Turner? fans. Tur- yeah, uh, I think it was ESPN who broadcast that game on Friday, right? Uh, but yeah, the, the media partners. And then on top of that, what about people who bet on this game, Michael? You know, like the NBA has been super pro gambling over these last couple of years. You can cast legal bets on these games. And you've got Kevin Durant just being beckoned off the bench in the middle of the second half when he's like playing I- pretty well. Yeah, can I just say, like, God help you if you are betting on NBA games during this season. Like, I can't even write about games with any accuracy after they've happened. So, yeah, good luck to you. Yeah, well, that's true. Look, I mean, there's always going to be, you know, varied levels of responsibility within this equation. I'm just saying it seems like for a level playing field, (laughs) it would make sense if we could declare this player is out before the game for whatever reason, so that everybody knows that it seems like that's the right approach. I don't understand how he got himself back on the court. It makes no sense. For a while there, I was like, did he just slip a fake mustache on? And all of a sudden now he's like, he's like <laughs> Devin Courant, you know, and he's wearing like number 77 and just sneaking in and, and trying to hope that nobody notices. Just a complete mess. And and now he's shut down for another week for the second time this season. Uh, I do believe it's better safe than sorry. It did sound like he was in a situation that was a close context. So from that standpoint, the shutdown was right. 
I think to me, the mistake was letting him back on the court. And then, you know, like you mentioned, potentially exposing his teammates and just allowing that game to continue. Um, You know, it it just, you know, how do you draw that line? You know, why is it necessary for Kevin to be pulled out, but not his teammates in that situation? It would be nice if they offered some greater transparency into their thinking on these processes. All right, Michael, on a much lighter note, we do have the all-star voting going on. And we discussed some of the most surprising results on last week's episode. Now, we got a couple of questions. Why were we so down on Bradley Beal? I think both you and I were surprised that Bradley Beal was leading the Eastern Conference guards in votes by you know, a pretty wide margin, drawing more votes than Kyrie Irving and James Harden. I wasn't necessarily trying to kill Bradley Beal's season. Obviously, he's got amazing numbers. The Wizards are struggling. Everybody kind of knows the deal there. Great player, huge stats, bad team. What was amazing to me is this a guy who just historically has not polled very well among uh, the average fans, right? He hasn't drawn a lot of votes in previous years. And so for him to like completely, you know, almost quadruple Trey Young, who started last year, it just feels like it came out of nowhere. And guys like Kyrie Irving and James Harden are significantly bigger stars and more established stars uh, than Bradley Beal playing on winning teams in bigger markets. And yet Bradley Beal was still able to kind of pull it out. So I don't know if, uh, you know, maybe... The way they list him on the website voting helps him because he's got such a high points per game average and they list it by that. Or maybe just people who really like trade rumors are just banging the all-star voting this year, Michael. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but that was the clarifying point. It wasn't to talk down on Bradley Beal specifically. It was mostly just to kind of like, you know, just be almost blown away to, to a certain degree by his surge in popularity, which has really just never been there in the past. Hey, everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to miss. A common mistake that a lot of people do, they use fabric softener when it's not so great for your clothes. Should we never be using fabric softener? No, you should not ever be using fabric softener. It leaves a deposit on our clothes, which is also left in the machine. And it also makes the clothes highly flammable. Wait, what? (laughs) Yes. What you want to do instead is just use a quarter cup of vinegar. And that'll make them softer? That'll make them softer. And if you wanted some kind of scent, you can use essential oils. Wow, wow, wow. Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? 
so are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. But ultimately, the media members and players are going to weigh in along with the fans to determine the starters. And I'm going to give you the the fans' picks, and then we're going to say how many of these guys should be locks, okay? The fans have picked LeBron, Jokic, and Kawhi, Steph Curry, and Luka as the starters in the West. They've picked KD, Giannis, Joel Embiid, Bradley Beal, and Kyrie Irving so far as the starters in the East. This is subject to change. There will be another round of voting coming out here pretty soon. So I think all things considered, even though there were some weird results from the fans like Clay Thompson almost getting 100,000 votes without playing a single second this year because he's injured, I think the fans did pretty well with their starter nods. But Michael, I'm curious, when you're running this down, when you're casting your ballot for starters, how many guys out there are just absolute locks, like not even worth debating? Give me that list. So I have eight players who are absolute locks. Um a lot of them are obvious. And I think maybe one or two you and I will defer on. Uh, So LeBron, Jokic, Embiid, Durant, Giannis, Steph. Those are all locks that I think you and I are on the same page with. I also have uh, Damian Lillard as a lock. And your favorite player, Kawhi Leonard. Mm. Those are my eight locks. And uh, there are some players out there who uh, I know I have your list in front of me, Ben, that I'm sure we're going to go over. And there's one player who I think is really interesting for us to discuss is James Harden, who was on your list and he is not on mine. Uh, so I don't really know where how you want to kind of tackle this t- together and just kind of analyze it. But um, 
Dame, Kawhi, and Harden are kind of, I guess, the three players here where you and I are on are uh, deferring a little bit. Yeah, so let's start in the Western Conference, you know, Western Conference. Um, LeBron, Jokic were both locks for both of us. Now, how did did you have Jokic like second or third, third in your pecking order? I know because you mentioned Kawhi was a lock for you. So like when you were ranking them, because I basically ranked it LeBron one, Jokic two, uh, and then I, the third one was much trickier for me. Did you have Kawhi like as a lock above Lok- uh, Jokic, or how did that break down? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I, I jotted down LeBron, Kawhi, and Jokic in order, and then I just kind of dug into the numbers a little bit, and I knew Jokic was like there was just no one who was going to compete with him. Um, I just he's one of the three best front court players in the Western Conference easily. LeBron is LeBron. Um, that's that goes without saying. He's going to start in the All Star game. Kawhi was a little more difficult for me because of just how good Paul George has been, and for some reason. Paul George is listed in the front court this year, which is he's he's not he's in the back court, <laughs> so I, which has been. Um, I mean, we're positionless basketball here, but that was a little tricky for me because those two have been so critical to LA's success this year. So I had to kind of look at their impact um, and uh, sort of figure out which one was, I guess, just flat out better um, on both ends. Uh, uh, over the past six weeks. And for me, it's just, it's it's like, it was a little tricky because Paul George's shooting numbers are like 50, 50, 90 or whatever they are. And they've been consistent throughout the entire season. And he defends uh, multiple positions as well as anybody. But like Kawhi, just ever so slightly, I'm giving him the nod. And one of those two are going to be locks, if that makes any sense. But Kawhi, for me, um, he got the nod. Yeah, it was really close. So did you give Anthony Davis any consideration at all here? Because I believe he started last year. I think some people just would automatically kind of pencil him in just because of, you know, the Lakers, you know, fame and notoriety and everything. But um, I do think that the voters got this one right. They had him outside the top three in that West front court. Did you give AD any look at all? No, um, I actually didn't. Uh, And I mean, his numbers are down across the board I would say and he just hasn't been as impactful I mean it's tough to I mean my expectations for him this year were very very high coming out of the bubble and like it's understandable that he's not treating the regular season as uh, he otherwise would during a normal layoff where he got to rest up um, before the season began but like I don't know. Like he's averaging four fewer points than he did last year, fewer rebounds. The defense, I, th- I th- like. I thought the defensive player of the year award was just going to be his in a runaway situation, and I like don't really even see his name mentioned that much. Maybe I'm not looking in the right places, but he's like not a top tier contender for that award. He could still win it, of course, because he's incredible. But and the Lakers have an incredible defense, so maybe he'll still like eke it out at the end and get into the conversation but right now he's been like relatively disappointing and when I say that I mean like I expected him to maybe be the best player in the world (laughs) this year so the expectations were through the roof and I think that that might have hurt him a little but the numbers are also down. Yeah, I'm with you. I think he's fifth on this list right now. I think both the Clippers guys should be ahead of him. You know, parsing Kawhi versus Paul George is like really, really tricky. I mean, Kawhi's got, if you look at the advanced stats, Kawhi's got a 
on uh, player efficiency rating. He's got him on win shares. Paul's mm-hmm. got him on real plus minus. Their per game numbers across the board are like nearly identical. I mean, the biggest differences are that Paul shoots a lot more threes and he turns the ball over, uh, you know, significantly more. Um, mm-hmm. And he's shooting a much better three-point percentage. Um, uh, it's almost flip a coin for me at this point. I think that one argument for Paul George would be that the Clippers' success has really been driven by their offense. Their offensive success has really been driven by their three-pointers. And Paul George has really been driving their three-pointer success. So you could say, well, look, like who's more important to winning? Is there an argument there for Paul George? He's not necessarily the stabilizing presence uh, that a Kawhi Leonard is, but he has, uh, you know, he what he's been good at is what the Clippers have been good at, and in turn, that's helped them, you know, win games. So that would be one argument for him. For Kawhi, it's the consistency factor. You know, he hasn't really missed time this year, other than you know some mandated uh, contact tracing. He's been out there every single night. They're winning bunches of basketball games, and he's been you know pretty efficient, although not quite as efficient shooting the basketball as Paul George. I don't know, man. It's really, really close. Should I just take Paul George to anger you, to get a reaction out of you, or should I go with Kawhi Leonard? <laughs> I mean, I would expect nothing less, frankly. But I, I want to quickly point out um, something about the, the offense, which you mentioned, and like how good it is when Kawhi is on the floor versus when Kawhi is off the floor is a little more impressive than how it is when Paul George is on the floor and Kawhi is not on the floor. And this has been a trend that I've mentioned multiple times on this podcast and has been true ever since those two guys became teammates. And so, like, a factor here for me is, like, if one of these guys went down for two and a half weeks, like, what would the situation – like, who would be a better positioned to carry the Clippers – and help them tread water, if not elevate and still be really good. And for me, it's like if Paul George went down, I just have more confidence in Kawhi, and that's just backed up in a little bit in the on-off numbers, even though those are a little muddy this early in the season. But if no, I, that's Kawhi a strong, went di- that's a strong yeah. argument. Look, I mean, Kawhi is a stabilizing piece. If you took him off the court, everything is going to look a lot different. Paul George's his efficiency is going to come way down because he's going to have to press a lot and everything else. So I guess what you're really arguing is the offense might look like it's in Paul George's mold right now, but ultimately this is still Kawhi Leonard's team, right? Yeah, more or less. And... Like, look, I just think that Kawhi, and I'm probably still in the minority here, I think he's one of the three best players alive. And so to not have him start in the All-Star game would just be like a crime to me against everything I believe in. So that's that's also an element here in my decision-making. Yeah, no, I, I think you've convinced me, Michael. I'm going to give it to you. Kawhi Leonard deserves that third starting nod in the Western Conference front, front court. Distant third behind Jokic, but he's still in there. Um, yeah. j- just kidding. <laughs> now, in terms of the backcourt, you said you've got Steph Curry. I definitely have Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. That 57 was ridiculous, wasn't it, Michael? It was, and I was a little upset because I fell asleep early, and then I saw on Twitter, I believe, that, or I saw a quote that Kent Bazemore had. Um, on Twitter, where he said that Steph was the best player alive right now. And then I saw that he had dropped 57, but I didn't know who won the game because I, I I don't like to spoil the outcomes for games that I haven't seen yet. So I was looking forward to watching it unfold. And then I'm watching the game and I'm like, wait a minute, the Mavericks like aren't going anywhere and they're actually in the lead with like 30 seconds left and now the Warriors have to foul. And Are they actually going to lose this game? So that was my own little mental path as I was navigating that, but 
uh, like Steph's shooting is just like I don't even know what where to begin or how to analyze it. It's just he's exactly what he was when he was the unanimous MVP. He's like he's just an incredible basketball player. Yeah, and maybe better. I mean, down the stretch of that game, like Maxi giveth and Maxi taketh away, man. Like <laughs> that was pretty wild for Maxi Kleber. Both ends, just you know, lots of impact plays, either positive or negative. But he finally delivered the dagger. Really, really entertaining uh, game and and a really important win, frankly, for the Dallas Mavericks. So Steph is in, and to me, it comes down to Luca versus Dame in the backcourt. Would you agree? Or are you going to throw anybody else in there? No, I don't have any other candidates it was like I thought before I started looking at the numbers that Luca was just going to be there and I started this exercise before I mean Dallas was in a little bit of a tailspin but I figured you know they would bounce back a little bit but um, it was pretty clear to me that Dame was above him after I kind of glanced at the numbers and saw where both teams were as well so make the case Michael let's hear it why Dame Okay, so, I mean, he's statistically where he was last year, uh, maybe even up in some categories here and there, which is just, like, freaking ridiculous because uh, last year was one of the better offensive seasons anyone has ever really had. And this year he's dealt with injuries to his second and third most important teammates on a roster that you know a bunch of new pieces are on there that were ostensibly brought in to elevate the defense so guys who can't really create their own shot and need to be set up and spoon-fed on the other end so for him to still be as effective as he was last season this year it's like, oh, he didn't. He hasn't shown any really marked improvement, but it is like, it, it is jaw dropping just how consistently brilliant this guy is. And his shooting, I mean, he, he's now kind of elevated himself where he's taking fifty percent of his shots are behind the three point line, which is actually more than last season. And so when you take a guy who has unlimited range, and you're just like, okay, take more above the break threes, Dame. Can you do that for us? And he does. And the percentages aren't really dipping too bad. Like, it's it's just remarkable. Um, so I had that as just, like, a really impressive factor with him. And then I look at Portland, and I'm like, is Portland terrible? Because, or like, are they, are they floundering in the standings because they don't have CJ and they don't have Yusuf Nurkic? Uh, and the answer is no, they are not floundering in the standings. And uh, they actually have the same record today as we record this as the Denver Nuggets. 12 and 10. So that's just ridiculous to me. And I can't take a guy. Uh, I think Luca's season has been really brilliant for sure. There are some, some flaws that I can point at also, but I just can't take Luca in the situation that he's in with Dallas's dire straits and put him above Dame. Like Dame has just been otherworldly at times this year. Very well argued. I agree on a lot of the points. I think Damian Lillard's got a better record uh, with his team. Uh, he's averaging more points. He's shooting the ball significantly more efficiently from outside. He's taking more uh, and he's making more. He has a better real plus minus, which is reflecting his overall impact um, You know, on his team's ability to win. Um, you know, He's been slightly more efficient and, and more productive in the advanced stats, PER, and win shares. I mean, basically, Luka is averaging more rebounds uh, and slightly more assists, 
and uh, you know he gets more attention. I think that's sort of where Luca's at, right? In terms of he he's kind of become one of these you know favorite children of the league, and he gets put on a lot of these uh, nationally televised broadcasts, and he's putting up spectacular, almost like Res- Russell Westbrook like box score numbers. But you know, I think if you're talking about impact on winning, uh, overall team success, and then efficiency, and those are some of the things that I value when I'm looking at these uh, you know these rankings and, and these picks. I mean, to me, it's Damian Lillard. So I think we're on the same page there. So it sounds to me, Michael, like we're going through this. We might have like nine locks instead of seven or eight. I mean, we're we're, <laughs> we're agreeing on just about everything. Let's see if we can change that change that up in the Eastern Conference. So the backcourt's pretty interesting. The fans went Beal one, Kyrie two, James Harden three, Jalen Brown four. For me personally, I think the two guys who deserve it the most are James Harden and Jalen Brown. Now, the hangup for a lot of people with Harden it you know is his early season behavior and i completely understand that uh it was ridiculous it was inexcusable at times and you know are we going to make character a part of all-star voting i suppose you could at some point that there might be people who are kind of like so out of control that they would be disqualified in some way but for me uh you're talking about pure talent it goes back to what you said about Kawhi. hey he's one of the top x players it would be just kind of ridiculous if he wasn't starting in the all-star game that's how I feel about James Harden. I mean, his numbers have changed, obviously, because his role has changed significantly, but they're still sensational. He's still the best guard in the Eastern Conference that I would take without even thinking twice, without blinking. He's still averaging 24.7 rebounds and 11 assists. Uh, he's shooting league average on three-pointers or better and taking eight of them a game, and he's leading the NBA in assist numbers right now. I, to me, this is open and shut. Why was this not a lock for you, Michael? So you bring up uh, the first three weeks or so, two and a half weeks of the season, and like when I factor those in to uh, my decision making process, I think that they they matter a big deal. And so I can't, I couldn't grant Harden a lock as wow. you did. Houston and- bitterness, bitterness, Michael can't get over it. Huh? <laughs> and then also, you know, I. I want to look at defense and James Harden straight up has been one of the worst defenders in the league uh, the whole season. But since he went to Brooklyn, it's just, it hasn't gotten better in an environment where you would think like he's all about sacrifice. And he has shown that on the offensive end, he has not really shown anything on the defensive end in terms of sacrifice as one who needs to exert more energy on that side of the floor. So, I, I take that into account and I'm like, okay, so this guy literally didn't try for the first three weeks of the season, right? Or until January 13th or whenever he was traded. So from, okay. yeah. Let me let me push pause to add one data point here. In the ESPN sure. database of defensive real plus minus statistics, there are 457 players. James Harden ranks 454th. The only people <laughs> worse are Marcus Morris Sr., Zach Levine, and Russell Westbrook, that's just phenomenal. And then right above Harden, Bradley Beal, and Trey Young. So just a beautiful, beautiful bottom bottom (laughs) row of defensive pieces. I'm just going to name some other guys because this is a great list. Uh, yeah. You know, bottom twenty guys. You got John Morant, Tanasis Antetokounmpo, Michael Porter Jr., Marvin Bagley, Demarcus Cousins, Lamelo Edwards, Anthony Edwards. I mean, what a squad, Michael! There's great names in this group. I, 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 in knowing you, I know that you love the bottom of defensive real plus minus because you have read it to me multiple times uh, since I've known you. 
Um, so that's just a joy for everyone. But I, I have another stat for you. Um, except for Mason Jones, who is a player I had never even heard of before I started to look into this. Every single person who stepped on the floor in a Rockets jersey this season has a higher on-court net rating than James Harden's. When he played, Houston was outscored by 6.6 points per 100 possessions. That is, I'm sorry, like, that right there is such an indictment on, like, what are we rewarding here? Like, I, I... he didn't try for the first few weeks of the season, like straight up. So okay. I, I know okay. that he's... So he's, point taken, point taken. So who are you going to put in over him? Are you not picking him at all? You have two guys above James Harden in this category? I do. I do. Bring um, him on. So I'm going with Jalen. Uh, and I, I, you agree with me, so we don't need to kind of belabor that point. He's just been incredible this year. And talking about like rewarding players, like he's taken parts of his game that were significant weaknesses and just turn them into strengths this year on a team that has needed him to be night in, night out, their first option when Tatum hasn't been in the lineup or just they've been dealing with a lot of, as many teams have, a lot of different COVID-related issues and health-related issues. So he's just been like a beacon of light for that 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 team this season. No, the best argument, yeah, the, be, the best argument for Jalen is that your life would be miserable if he wasn't playing at an A-plus <laughs> level because the Celtics would be well below 500 and I would never be letting you hear the end of it. And it would just be like, they're the biggest disappointments in the league. What a bunch of frauds. They screwed up the offseason. They're never going to win a title Jalen has been the backstop against all of those takes single-handedly this year I mean look Tatum's been really good too but it if Jalen hadn't stepped up in the way he has the floodgates would be wide open he's averaging 26 5 and 4 right now 52 percent shooting 42 percent three-point shooting it's wild he was playmaking uh you know his assist rate is way up He's absolutely a deserving starter. I didn't have him as a lock just because I did want to go through the process of like comparing his stats to guys like a Bradley Beal or a Kyrie Irving. Uh, but for me, Kyrie missed a lot of time, so I kind of disqualified him for that. And with Bradley Beal, I'm always going to take a guy in Jalen Brown who's doing it on both ends of the court, who's not in the bottom 10 of real plus minus on the defensive end, whose team is actually winning and who is driving that success, I'm always going to take that guy over Bradley Beal. So that one was kind of a no-brainer too. Not quite a lock, Mm -hmm. but right there on the edge. So who did you have as your second guard over Harden? So I had Beal um, because... Michael, you're going to be telling me about the importance of defense and commitment and all this other stuff, and you're going to turn right back around and take a guy off the Washington Wizards who haven't played a meaningful game all season yet? Well, so defense and commitment uh, as you know, qualities when judging James Harden just do not even factor into the equation. Whereas, I mean, what Brad Beal is doing where 16 of the 19 games he's played this season, he's scored over 30 points. He has uh, about 170 more points than James Harden this season in 50 fewer minutes. So shout out to Bradley Beal. I mean, I understand that his team has not been terrific. They might be the worst basketball team in the entire NBA this season. But like when I look at the consistency he has had as a scorer 
against teams that are just like collectively their duty every night is just to stop him. That's really all they're trying to well, do and they can't. Can I push back on that part? His scoring consistency sure. has been phenomenal. I mean, he's averaged, you know, 20, 25 plus every single night. I think he had a streak that was like up there with MJ for the most straight uh, scoring games like that to start a season. But mm-hmm. teams are not locking down and keying on Bradley Beal to hold him off his number no matter what. When you get a game against the Washington Wizards, you're going out there like it's going to be two hours of exercise. You don't care. They don't play defense. <laughs> you know it. You're just going up and down the court to get your repetitions in. You're going to let Bradley score because who cares? They're going to give it back on the other end, and Bradley's going to let you score too. Like I said, bottom 10 defensive real plus minus we've seen him have lots of bad body language at various points of this uh, season on the court now I have defended him from some of the frustration after losses I don't want to pin Washington's record on him because his supporting cast is just an absolute mess there's no doubt about it but I think that we've got to poke holes in some of his scoring numbers and not really take it at face value if he was playing on a competent organization He's averaging 25 points, not 35 points, right? If you put him in a realistic role, his number's coming way down. He's not as talented of a scorer as a James Harden. It's sort of like a Devin Booker effect, right? Where he used to put up monster scoring numbers. Now Chris Paul shows up, his number comes back to earth. You know, less is more in these situations. I mean, I just think that he's greasing it in these meaningless games. Half the time they're down by 20 points. They give up 140 practically every single night. I just can't take it seriously. He's in the same category as Trey Young for me last year. Disqualified. He can't be an all-star starter, Michael. (laughs) Okay, two quick things. Number one, how do you reconcile with what James Harden did in Houston? Because I've watched what James Harden's doing in Brooklyn, and they're winning games, and he's really good, and they're killing people. And, like, look, he's terrible (laughs) on defense, but his offensive efficiency is remarkable. And the playmaking and the passing stuff in Brooklyn has been sensational. I'm with you. Like, some of these guys just skate by uh, on their offensive reputations, and, you know, ultimately, like, their value would be so, so much higher in a vacuum if they would commit even just, like, 50% of their energy on defense, right? Just instead of just watching guys go by, you just try a little bit, put up some resistance, and it would be so much easier to defend what they do on the court. But Harden's been sensational uh, as a a, um, playmaker for Brooklyn. I didn't know how it would work out. There hasn't been the the, uh, tug of war that I expected between him and Kyrie. He's been willing to sacrifice his own scoring for the betterment of the team, and I think that deserves to be rewarded. And I do think if he was just a different player, like he wasn't named James Harden. He didn't come in with the baggage that you're describing. And he had the same exact numbers for one of the few teams in the Eastern Conference that's actually above 500. He would just be an automatic selection because people would look at 24 and 11 on a winner and say like, wow, that never happens in the Eastern Conference. We've got to reward it. So that's why I had him as a lock. I understand your hesitation, but I need better arguments on behalf of Bradley Beal, man, because we we can't just do it on scoring on a team where, you know, like I said, they're playing super fast pace. It's fake basketball. I mean, it it really is like, you know, Big 12 college football offense out there. Okay, so a quick comparison between Harden and Beal this season. Harden's usage is 26. His turnover rate is 17.5. Beal's usage is 36.9. His turnover rate is 9.9. Yeah, because when you miss a shot, you don't get credited for a turnover. He's got no one he could pass to, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) He's playing with a bunch of G-leaguers. These guys are terrible. I'm not not really like arguing that Harden is a worse player than Beal. I'm not here to do that. 
you know, if they switch spots, I'm sure that James Harden's numbers would be astronomical. We have seen him do it oh, in man. Houston. If he played in Washington's system at their pace with those teammates, he would average 42 points a game, I promise you. Like, he, because he, first of all, he wouldn't, I, if you thought he treated his teammates terribly in Houston, put him in Washington and see how he treats those guys. Because <laughs> he actually had okay, real players so- to play with at Houston, you know? It's like, God. Yeah. So the other thing I just want to say, because I am me, um, is why isn't Jason Tatum at all in this conversation? Uh, let me make a quick case for him. Uh, he's averaging 27, 7, and 4, one of the best pull-up three-point shooters in the league. He's providing all defensive team defense every night. The Celtics are really bad when he's not on the court. They have a top-six offense and a top-five defense when he plays. He's logged as many minutes as Joel Embiid, only 40 40 fewer minutes than Kevin Durant. So Tatum is, uh, he's like all things considered the best player on the Celtics. He's better than Jalen, who we have starting in this this game. So like, did you look at Tatum at all and and consider him as much as I know you loathe him? No, it's tough because I, he's just a classic, like, came up fourth in a three-team race kind of guy, right? Like, I don't know who you knock out, KD, Giannis, or Embiid. I think some people might circle Giannis as having a down year. Giannis's down year is still pretty darn good, and they're still winning a lot of games. They're winning more than Boston. You know, if Boston had a better record, I'd be more open to the idea of having two representatives from the Celtics. But, um, you know, I found myself needing to pick one, and it was just easier to find a spot for Jalen in the backcourt. Um, you know, I think that Embiid deserves it. KD absolutely deserves it. And, you know, Giannis to me, I, I didn't even really think twice. So I just felt like Tatum was the, one of the toughest snubs. It was him, Paul George, Anthony Davis, and Luca were probably the toughest snubs for me. Um, but, you know, look, they're going to make the regular roster, so it's not the end of the world. And they're going to be some of the very first picks, you know, from that group. So, you know, we can double back next week when we do that. I, I think we've ran this thing into the ground, Michael. We're pretty darn close across the board. <laughs> Our biggest our biggest debate was Beal, and I'm I'm really curious to see where the listeners come down on that one because I know some people like to stand up for those guys who are saying, "Hey, look, they're play- they're the martyrs of their team. If they weren't there, the team would be even worse." And that is a scary th- thought to think about. What do the Wizards look like without Beal? Oh my gosh, I don't even want to consider that uh, possibility. So, guys, email us your ideas. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Was it Harden? Was it Jalen Brown? Did we shortchange Kyrie Irving? Should it have been Zach Levine or Trey Young or some other uh, candidate? uh, Or was it Beal? Let us know. Hey, everyone. This is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. We're back with season two of the podcast, which means more opportunities to glow up and become a more responsible and better adult, one life lesson at a time. And let me just tell you, this show is just as much for us as it is for you. So let's figure this stuff out together. This season, we're going to talk about whether or not we're financially and emotionally ready for dog ownership. We're going to figure out the benefits of a high-yield savings account. And what exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party? All that plus so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, let's shift gears here to another guy who's generating a little bit of all-star buzz, Michael. I believe you wrote about uh, De'Aaron Fox of the Sacramento Kings for Sports Illustrated this week. And it's funny because about two weeks ago, I put out a tweet and it had the defensive efficiency ratings and the offensive efficiency ratings of all 30 teams charted. And the Sacramento Kings were all by themselves in a corner of the chart. And it was because they had by far the worst defensive efficiency rating in the league. And I think my, my caption was, how long can Luke Walton survive this? You know, you don't usually see one team play just absolutely worse defense than everybody else in the entire league without the coach, you know, at some point getting some hot seat talk. Since I put up that chart, Sacramento has just been absolutely rolling. I believe they're above 500 as we're recording this. And as I mentioned, Darren Fox is getting a lot of the credit for it. What do you make of the Sacramento Kings unexpected turnaround um, what's changed from when they were off to a slow start and they just couldn't guard everybody? Should or should we blame Bagley for all of it, or are we just going to make this a, a pro-Deer and Fox segment? Let's be positive, okay? Um, you know, the defense was historically terrible. Uh, no defense had ever been that bad in, in the, since basically we started tracking per-possession performance. 
Oh, since and... man came up with numbers, we've never seen anything <laughs> like this. <laughs> and over the past two weeks or so, they've been league average on the defensive end. So that just kind of that tells a lot of the story here. But also telling a lot of part of the story is is De'Aaron Fox, who is their best player, who signed a max contract extension heading into this season. Who, in my opinion, and maybe you agree, Ben, just like his name very rarely comes up in conversations when we're talking about kind of the better young guards in the league. And, and like, the, the players who I'll put him in the, cl- in the same class as are, like, Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, Devin Booker. And the obvious reason for that is that the Sacramento Kings have not been to the playoffs since they drafted De'Aaron Fox. They haven't been in 15 years, actually. Um, and that obviously hurts his his status. But if you just look at the numbers, you look at his impact um, on Sacramento throughout the past eight games where they've won seven of them and they've defeated the Nuggets, the Celtics, the Pelicans, a team that has been playing really well, by the way, um, the Raptors. Just they've been very impressive against legitimate competition. And so for my piece, I wanted to kind of look at Fox and see if there was anything intriguing there that stood out to kind of explain his stellar play of late. And one thing that I noticed is uh, his three-point shooting has just been ticking up and up and up, particularly pull-up threes. And this is someone whose weakness coming into the NBA was that jumper. And uh, defenders still duck under screens quite regularly compared to uh, how they guard, you know, even Donovan or, or Murray or any of those guys. I mean, they duck under like he's Derek Rose or he's Ricky Rubio. And so his response has been to just pull up from deep. And now he's doing it when defenders, you know, trail him over the screen. And he looks like Damian Lillard doing it. Like he's he's comfortable pulling up and, and launching off the off the bounce in a crowd or contested or going to his step back or a sidestep, just like things that he wasn't doing before which I think really foretell a lot of optimism about how his career is going to unfold going forward. Um, He's just been brilliant. He's, you know, all the things that are so attractive about him, the speed, the finishing ability. I mean, he's shooting like 75% or something at the rim right now, just something absolutely mind-boggling. And so I just wanted to draw a little bit of attention to him and draw a little bit of attention to a team that we never talk about unless it's bad. Well, that's for sure. I mean, it's nine out of 10 times it's bad for them. I mean, a lot of people predicted a breakout for him before last season. You know, he had a really nice run with USA Basketball during their training camp and so forth. And he is so quick. He is so dynamic on the ball. There aren't a lot of point guards who've got his end-to-end speed, but also the size. I mean, there's a size factor to him too and and a strength Mm -hmm. going to the basket where, um, you know, he's not like bulky, but you know, he, he can, uh, he can withstand some pounding and, and still finish through contact and things like that. Um, last season just got shortchanged because of injury. I think that helped him fall off the radar. I think the key for him this year is just that consistency factor, right? Like I do believe he'll get himself onto the radar and he'll stick if he can just stay healthy and if he can keep playing uh, like this level, you know, his three point shooting regressed last season too. And so I think there's still a question with him, where does that land, right? Because if it lands at 36, 37, 38%, then he's basically impossible to guard in the half court. Because if you're mm-hmm. you know, paying too much attention to his three-pointer, he's going to the basket, he's breaking you down off the dribble, and then it's either drive and kick, or it's dishing, or it's you know him getting to the rim, right? 
if he doesn't have that shot, if teams are able to get away with daring him to shoot, if it just, you know, if he goes through swoons or whatever it might be, then he's a little bit not one dimensional, but you know, he he's not that full fledged overall carry an offense type of guy. I mean, he's a little bit more of a narrow impact player at at that point. So the three-point shot is huge. He's been working on it hard. He talks about it a lot, I think, for the last four years. Ever since he came into the draft, he was hearing non-shooter, 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 and it really bothered him. And I think it's so fascinating how far we've come. You know, a guy like him or John Morant got the same label. And if you look at what their shooting numbers are now in terms of volume of attempts and efficiency compared to like the non-shooting point guards of the previous generation, like a John Wall, and that's only like 10 years ago. It's completely night and day, right? I mean, they're shooting way more. They're actually hitting better. And so uh, I, I think that these players have really focused a lot, this generation, on on developing that into a credible weapon because they realize like, look, you know, I'm not going to get where I want to go if I just can't shoot the basketball from behind the three-point line. He's an awesome, awesome example of that. Michael, I do want to bring in this question from Garrett in Germany. He writes, and it's on this shooting subject, he says, the 50-40-90 club has always stood for shooting excellence and only a select few have been granted entry over the course of an entire season. What stands out to me this season is the number of players who might enter the 50-40-90 club this year. As of today, 19 players have shooting splits of 50-40-90 uh, uh, or better. And he lists them off. And, you know, it's some of the usual suspects, guys. You would think, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, but even just some other random people, uh, you know, Terrence Davis, Damian Lee, Peyton Pritchard, uh, the list goes on. Even guys like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George are pretty close. Seth Curry, Jordan Clarkson, his list goes on. He continues, Now, granted, there are some great shooters on this list, but there are even two rookies who might join and a bunch of players who are known as average shooters. What do you attribute this explosion of possible 50-40-90 club members to? Michael, what would you say to Garrett here on on this one? Why have we seen so much amazing shooting to start this season? Man, that's a really good question. I mean, the first thing I would point to is just the collective embrace that the entire NBA has had with three-point shooting and just shooting in general. So shot selection, um, I I would imagine that players are taking fewer two-point shots that could lower their field goal percentage. Um, And, you know, those mid-range ones, contested fallaways, elbow jump, just like things that aren't, that are fat in in anybody's diet um, as a scorer. And it's just like, what are guys practicing in the offseason? Or what are guys practicing and working on to get to the NBA? It's like it's three-point shooting. That's it. So we're seeing a lot of guys uh, uh, be incredibly accurate from deep, uh, more so than in the past. We should also point out that it's a long season, and some of these numbers will definitely go down a little bit, and the volume is just not there to qualify uh, and be, you know, considered, you know, where you're a Dirk or a Larry Bird or a Steve Nash or whoever, all these guys that have actually been in the 50-40-90 club, which is just really, really difficult to join. Um, that'll level off a little bit, but sh- like just the fact that shooting is is the whole name of the game right now. It's like the most important skill. It's what gets you paid. Look at Joe Harris. Look at Davis Bertans. Uh, and I don't think that this trend will be uh, lessening anytime soon. Yeah, I would just say, Garrett, think about it like you're running a mile. You could run a four-minute mile pace for that first lap a lot easier than you could run a four-minute 
uh, mile pace for the entire mile, right? So it's it's significantly easier to shoot 50, 40, 90 for the first quarter of the season than it is for you know the entire season. I would also point out free throw shooting is usually what gets people on this one. Like there's a decent number of 50, 40 shooters and, and the 90 is really hard to maintain. Um, what's interesting this year is our free throw shooting, you know, is there, there are more potential candidates here because there's no crowd to screw with you. There's less pressure in the Ooh. empty buildings. Is that a possible explanation? We'll have to see how that shakes out. I would tend to expect as the season unfolds, you know, people are going to drop below that 90. I mean, that's really the hardest of the three categories, I think at this point, um, you know, so past that, uh, I, I think that you, you know, hit on some of the right factors, Michael. I mean, it's just the development of shooters, the sophistication of offenses to set up specialists with high quality shots in their targeted zones, right? So you have certain people who are really good catch and shoot three pointers in particular areas of the court. It's really become kind of, you know, a, a systematic approach to generating those shots from offenses where, you know, even five or 10 years ago, you might not have quite such a disciplined approach to getting guys in their absolute best money spots um, to, to knock those shots down. But I do think the biggest factor here to consider is, um, you know, going forward, the empty gyms, because this could be kind of an anomaly season where, uh, you know, there, there isn't noise to distract guys. There isn't, um, you know, bigger pressure in certain moments. You know, we've seen a number of really spectacular late game buzzer beaters this season. That's not necessarily different from usual. Um, but I do kind of wonder, are guys more comfortable shooting the basketball in that situation? We heard from people in the bubble because they didn't have to travel. They felt like they were able to kind of maintain a better groove from game to game. You know, players like Jamal Murray uh, and others mentioned that uh, just, you know, it was easier on the body, easier for them to stay kind of locked in. Here, I've got to imagine empty arenas, once you adjust to it, does make it easier to shoot the basketball. Um, you know, are you with me on that, or do you think that's just nonsense, Michael? No, I, I don't think it's nonsense. It's actually something I didn't even consider and is really smart. And I, I wonder if, you know, this is a really unique opportunity to kind of study how players shoot in arenas where there are no fans versus where there are a few. You know, Atlanta has a few. Houston has a bunch. There's different arenas around the country that are letting fans in. I do wonder, like, if, if there is enough data there, someone smarter than me can figure it out to kind of uh, figure it out if there is definitively uh, any difference in, in, in player performance based on, like, crowd noise. Well, yeah, we know for sure it's not going to apply to every player because freaking Giannis is shooting 61% on the free throws this year, which is down from <laughs> last year. So we, we can't blame the crowd noise in certain circumstances, but I do wonder if you're like an elite shooter where you're so dialed in that like, you know how sometimes shooters will say like, oh man, when it left my finger, I knew it was going to be like half an inch to the left, right? Like they've got to just hone to that kind of a science. I do wonder if you eliminate variables for those guys, whether they're more likely to reach a... Uh, you know, a, a 50, 40, 90 threshold or, or to be able to shoot just slightly better, you know, rather than 88% on free throws, maybe they're shooting 91% on free throws, you know, little tweaks like that. You know, I'm just speculating, but it, it's worth considering. All right, Michael, I want to close with one final email. It's a follow-up to the whole conversation from uh, Michael in Tasmania about watching basketball at inappropriate times. Tom in London says, uh, this one's open floor related. In the, in the United Kingdom, we have a thing called Park Run. It's basically an organized and tracked 5K run that's free to enter every Saturday morning in different parks around the country. I think there are now well over 500 of them. And honestly, it's kind of life-changing. It gets so many people 
active. Michael, brilliant. Don't you think that we probably need to import this idea to America? I think so. Anyway, Tom in London continues. I actually queued up seven episodes of Open Floor when I ran the London Marathon two years ago. Thank you for getting me through that. Unreal. Glad to be there for you, Tom. He says, I do park run every weekend, and I was midway through when you guys read out my first ever submission. I leapt and fist punched the air mid-run and inadvertently punched the person running in front of me clean in the head. South Londoners do not take kindly to accidental head punches, but after plenty of pleadings and both of us clocking that we were respectively wearing Lakers gear, he was wearing shorts and I was wearing a t-shirt, we quietly acknowledged the accident and moved on. I'm heavily into distance running now, but I really struggle without an episode of Open Floor. I even plan my 20-kilometer runs around your episode releases. So, Michael, no pressure here. You better bring the heat because we've got to get Tom through these long-distance runs. Otherwise, he's just going to give up and and just, you know, walk home, basically, it sounds like. Um, Amazing story from Tom in London. Michael, what would you do? If you were just, you know, doing a little fun run through your neighborhood and all of a sudden someone punched you in the back of the head, you turned around, they were wearing a Lakers t-shirt and they said, sorry, I just got my email read on a podcast. I didn't mean to punch you. Is that going to be cause for fisticuffs? How are you going to respond? I'm not a a violent person, but I thought the funniest part of this email and every time anyone emails us saying that they run to our voices, I'm truly honored. So thank you, Tom. But the funniest part of this particular email was where he specified that it was South Londoners who do not take kindly to accidental head punches. So my question is just, you know, if you're from West London or East London, or is accidental head punching acceptable? Is that a thing? Is that oh, okay? it's 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 huge in North London. They love it. They just go around. <laughs> <laughs> beating each other in the head, Michael, every single day. No, it's it's fair. Um, I don't know my London geography well enough. I think maybe is that a grittier part of town, perhaps, is what he's saying. And in other words, like he was running through an area where you really don't want to punch anyone in the head and he still couldn't mm-hmm. help himself. I think that might have been what he was referring to there. I don't know. Maybe the Londoners can weigh in and help us. Yeah, that would be terrific because that was that was weighing on me as I read this and I was chuckling to myself. But but this is uh, this is great. And to answer your question, um, I just straight up attack people who I see in public wearing Lakers gear regardless. So it doesn't even have to be on a run or anything like that. Um, It's just that's in my nature um, being where I'm from. So when you say attack, are you asking them things like, how's it going to feel when you wear Title 18 before us? Or like, what are you saying? Like, what's what's one of your attacks? <laughs> no, I, I, I can't really get into it because of some open court cases against me. But uh, no, this is I hope everyone understands that we're joking around. But but yeah, no, uh, shout out to Tom. Shout out to everyone who listens to us when they're running. I just as someone who does not run, who probably should a little more. Uh, it's it's like I, you're like a superhuman uh, uh, freak of nature to me. I know, especially when he's talking about 20 kilometers. First of all, Tom, we have no clue what that means over here in America. So congratulations. We probably assume you're you're walk, you're going like 300 miles. So that's awesome. Really proud of you. Um, no, it's it is remarkable that people do this, and we always love hearing about it. Um, Michael, from the open floor to the open court cases, you just have such range these days. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Guys, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben Doc Oliver. 
on Twitter at Ben Galver. We're going to double back later this week with some awesome questions we got about Luka Doncic and the Mavericks, what's next for them, a whole bunch of other stuff we just didn't get to today. Hopefully we'll have some more clarity on what's going on with the All-Star game as well. All right, guys, you can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. All right, Michael, until later this week, I will talk to you. That's it, Ben. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. This is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.